today's episode is so much fun. Oh my God, you are going to love this. I absolutely loved it. Kim Worker, she reached out to me and let me know about a project she works on called The Mighty Ugly. And I was just like, tell me more. So here she is (laughs) telling us more about creating things intentionally ugly, what that brings up for people. And, you know, when I was setting the intention for this show, it was literally for it to be a super fun conversation, but also really based in permission. So permission for you to just go and try something creative, even if it's ugly. And this show fits the brief. May I introduce you to Kim Worker. Creativity, self-expression, and feelings. Creativity, self-expression, and feelings. Make some noise, 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 make some noise. Not only it's a podcast, okay, let's hear it. I am Kim Worker. I live in Vancouver, Canada, and I do a project called Mighty Ugly, which is about making ugly things on purpose as a creativity exercise. And I also run a community of what we call ourselves creative adventurers. The thing that we have in common being the desire to prioritize creativity in our lives. And uh, I have a history working in the craft industry in all manner of ways. I've written books about how to crochet, and I've done good taught online and I've done all kinds of things. So there's been kind of a weird way that I've gotten here and that's what I do. Cool. So what is your relationship with creativity? Has it always been a big part of your life? No? No. Oh, talk to me about that then. (laughs) (laughs) I think that for most of my life up until, you know, maybe my 30s, I, I considered myself not to be a particularly creative person and I would say it. I would be like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not creative. I was never particularly artistic in those ways that like when you're a kid, people encourage you to be creative when you show some kind of gift for it. I was not that child. Um, My parents weren't particularly crafty. I didn't grow up kind of making things. And yet by the time I was in my early 20s, I felt like like there was something missing from my life, but I had also I also felt like I had missed the boat. Like it was just too late for me since I didn't, you know, excel at art class when I was eight. Clearly, it was too late for me <laughs> to do anything. And I and I remember at one point I actually sat in my statistics prof's office in grad school when I was like twenty two. And lamented to him that I needed a hobby. Like, what was I even doing? What was he going to do for me? I don't even know. And I would like walk around the aisles at, at the big box craft stores and be like, I don't know how to do any of this. Like, it was like the end of my world or something. And <laughs> so, yeah, even years into working in the crafts industry, um, and I worked in the industry as an editor and a writer, I would insist that I was an editor and a writer. I was not, quote unquote, creative. So uh, eventually I met the right people who browbeat me into submission. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, and I can see myself in some elements of that too. Like, I mean, I was kind of creative in maybe different ways, not necessarily really. My brother is an incredible artist. And so I just paled in comparison. You know, there was no point me even trying when he is supremely talented. And so my dad used to call me the bullshit artist because I was like (laughs) the communicator. That was like my form of creativity. So I did things like, you know, get out of class and or convince my teachers to let me out of class to take the younger preps to go and learn a dance that I'd make up or um, start a school magazine, shit like that. But it wasn't like art creative. I did art, but I just wasn't very particularly good at it. And then um, for me, I definitely, like I studied art at uni, so there was definitely a love of it there, but it was more media art than, than traditional painting or, you know, building something with my hands. And eventually life and adulting took over and I lost, you know, lost kind of track of that 
little creative being. And I totally <laughs> relate to the bit about like walking through a craft shop going, what, what can I do here? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do here. And in fact, when I started, cause my, my diving back into creativity was brought on by a diagnosis of clinical depression and, you know, anxiety. And so creativity became a way for me to just find some peace and get back in my body. Yeah, and so I've got like I've done a few paintings and stuff. <laughs> They're not great. Um, but I I once made a lamp. And when you were talking about going through the craft store, I totally related to this. I went to what a spotlight store, which is like a big haberdashery place in Australia. And they've got all this stuff. And I was like, I'm going to craft myself a new lamp for this bedroom, you know, for our spare room. And it was the fucking ugliest thing <laughs> ever seen. I could see it in my mind, but I just could not translate that shit outside <laughs> of it. And it was so ugly. And it was like this ongoing joke of the ugly lamp. You know, everyone who would come in and stay would be like, what's with the lamp? You know, and I'd be like, hey, it's, you know, it's just, it's just my creativity. <laughs> Do you still have it? No, we actually got rid of it when we moved <laughs> in like interstate. It was just like, are we really going to take this thing? No, I think it's good to go to the tip now. <laughs> but, you know, that that is actually a big part of the reason that I wanted to get you on um, because when I heard you had this project called, you know, with the words Mighty Ugly, I was like, and and around creativity, I was like, what an amazing way to open up a, a chat about giving people permission to really fucking suck at creativity, <laughs> <laughs> but not make it mean anything more than just, you know, being in the experience. So yeah. what led you to starting this project? And t tell us a bit about it. Okay. So I'm um I'm trying to see if I can reach something. I don't actually know where it is. I have the original doll that I made that could probably be a distant cousin of your lamp. Um, <laughs> and so so the there's a backstory and then there's like the creation of the project and then there's what came. Yeah, from let's it. go. Let's go to the backstory. Okay. So the backstory is that I I found myself working in a creative field in crochet when I was in my kind of mid to late 20s. I opened up my big fat mouth on the internet, it was the mid 2000s, and I ended up starting a magazine about something I knew almost nothing about. And it was amazing and wonderful, and I met women from all over the world who wanted to do this thing, and we met each other and we created careers for each other. And I ended up being hired to be the editor of a print magazine about crochet. It was this big coup, like some blogger from her basement gets hired in like the real world. <laughs> it was kind of hilarious. And I battled tropes the whole time I was doing it. But I started meeting all kinds of people over the years that I did that who were avid crocheters. And this was their absolute favorite medium to create things in. And yet at the same time, many people would talk to me about their fear oh, I could never do that kind of project. I'm afraid I would mess it up. Or, oh, I, I could never try that. I'm not talented or whatever. And it was like people were constantly justifying to me their reasons for not doing something. Yes. And I mean, we don't, <laughs> like, we don't even work in a medium like like painting where, you know, but even in painting, you can always paint over a canvas if you mess it up, right? But like, Working in yarn, like if you mess it up, you literally pull the stitches out, wind the same ball up again and start over. Like you're not even wasting anything if you get it wrong. <laughs> like there's, you're not using it up if you make something and it's horrible and you pull it out and start again or if you make a horrible mistake. And so and it never made sense to me. And I was an asshole about it because I was like, what is wrong with people? Why aren't you? Know, I was very ungenerous and I, I was really unable to see what they meant. And so that's the backstory. Were you uh, crocheting at all at this stage? Yeah. Oh, you were. Sure. Cool. I, <laughs> learned, I learned as I went and I still crochet today. It's like 15 years later, I crochet yeah. today as a that's hobby. That's great. For a moment, uh, I thought you were like, uh, you know, someone who doesn't have kids giving parental advice there. <laughs> 
no, no, no. By the time I was editing that magazine, I was a very good crocheter. Right. Uh, it's, it's a it's a medium that actually makes a lot of sense to me, which is unusual. So it's uh, there are a lot of things I make that are very humbling to me, but crochet just like makes a ton of sense. So I was teaching it before too long. Um, Yes, no, I was I was amongst the crocheters <laughs> while I was like was in the arena, you. as Brenna <laughs> would say. <laughs> um, and then I had this very profound, humbling experience, which was uh, around the time I was starting to to need to leave crochet. I think I had kind of exhausted everything to say about it. It was not really a deliberate path; it was just a path I ended up on, and I like ran full tilt to the end of it. Um, I was at a birthday party. It was a 30th birthday party of a friend of mine here in town. And he wanted to have this crafty birthday party. And he like borrowed sewing machines from all of his friends. And he got fabric and stuff in the bargain bin. And he made cocktails and snacks and people made stuff. And I was like, this is my kind of party. Because at that point, though I still would deny that I was capital C creative, I I was identifying as crafty, right? Like, okay, this <laughs> yeah. is my kind of thing. And of course, I arrived at this party and realized that I barely knew how to operate a sewing machine. And I had no idea what to do with myself. And there were my friends who were like, I'm going to make myself a top. And I was like, oh, they're making clothing and I can't sew in a straight line. And so then I sat in the corner and I moped like I was 13 years old at a school dance going, they're going to know I'm a fraud. I don't belong here. This is horrible. I'm just proving to myself all of these things that are wrong with me. And I found myself, there was this big bag of fabric next to me and I was kind of fondling this piece of fabric. It had a neat texture and I looked at it and it was the ugliest thing I had ever seen. And I was like, who? It was upholstery fabric. And I, I was like, somewhere, someone has a couch an entire huge piece of furniture that is upholstered in this fabric. And I was like half horrified and half desperate to meet them. I was like, this is an interesting person, no matter how this came about. And, and so I kind of held the fabric. I started feeling really possessive of it. I didn't want anyone else to take it. And so then, you know, that kind of like I had another drink and I was like, okay, you know what? I like this fabric because it's hideous. So why don't I just make something ugly out of it? And then if I succeed, I've succeeded. And like, and my whole brain started to kind of like explode and ooze out my ear. But I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And so I made a doll out of it. And I kind of cut it however I could cut it. And I vaguely had an idea that, you know, you sew around the two pieces, but leave open a part so you can stuff stuffing into it. And then I didn't know how to sew it closed in a neat way. So I sewed it closed and it was horrible and the stitches were uneven and it was like big black, like it looked like Frankenstein, um, big black thread, just kind of suturing up this horrible, I found ugly buttons to be its eyes. And then I crocheted a scarf because I needed to do something I knew how to do at that point, like just for my psyche. And because I, at, in doing it, this doll had kind of come up with its own personality and it likes to accessorize and it doesn't matter that it's hideous. It's like, it's, it's just who she is and she wants to wear a, like a feather boa. Um, and then, and I realized at the end that the whole party had disappeared. It, it's like in a movie when the, when the music stops and everything else gets dim and the spotlight was only on me and everything else had disappeared. And then once the lights came back up again and I could hear the music playing and seeing my friends having fun. And I was like, you guys, look what I made. And then they were like, you know, it was like, it was, it was essentially, it was like, what's the deal with the lamp? Right. It was like, yeah. Oh, uh, what? okay. Ugly on purpose. I was like, her name is Shoshana. I love her. She's like my alter ego. And I made her ugly on purpose. Didn't I do a great job? And they were like, <laughs> you're a crazy lady. Like you're weirder than we ever thought you were. And we don't know what to do about this. And it didn't matter because I had succeeded and I had felt so free. And it was probably the first experience I ever had of just like creating with abandon. Like I just, I forgot myself. I didn't edit myself. I didn't censor myself. I just went for it. And it was maybe four years of sitting with that doll on my shelf before 
it occurred to me that everybody in the world simply has to try this. And Uh, so true. They absolutely 100% (laughs) have to make one of the biggest moments of my life to date was actually doing my, I started doing singing lessons after 20 years away from singing. Singing is like my one true love. And I always had so much fear because people had told me I was a shit singer and, you know, all the stuff that, that people say when you're, um, anyway, I had so much pressure about being really good at singing. And so I took like 20 years off and went back to singing lessons about this time last year. And I had my first singing lesson, uh, the, my singing teacher, Lisa Brown had said to me, right, we're going to, we're going to make this ugly. You know, we're going to make this an ugly version of the Beatles' Let It Be. And it was such a confronting process for me to, well, first of all, she was like, just sing it, you know, just yeah. sing it as it is. And so I'm singing it nice, let it be, you know, like just in a nice <laughs> head kind of voice, no passion, no connection, just me trying to get it right. And then we went through this process of like connecting to my emotions and pain and all that kind of jazz and then singing it at the end really intentionally not well and I've played this when I've um you know done public speaking and stuff I've played and on my other podcast Carlosophies there's an episode that plays both and it plays the first one and the second one and there's just energetically something different about the second one because there's so much passion and you know a um I don't know I don't know, is unabandoned a work word yet? It's isn't it? Yeah. You know, abandoned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, that that feeling of just like complete freedom yeah. is in there. And that energetically comes through whatever it is that's created, right? Yeah. So powerful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. It's like it's it's I do this when I teach workshops on this. When I and that's what I like the workshop is what I did. It's here's a bunch of trash. Like here's a bunch of discards and scrap materials and make an ugly creature out of it. The creature part is mostly cuz we need a constraint. Yeah. Um but it's like we're just going to we're throwing it under the bus. You know, it's like, and I do this as a writer when I am stuck, when I have this big idea and I need to write about it, I write knowing that I'm going to throw away the first paragraph, that I just need to get into it. And I'm probably not going to get into it until the middle anyway, but if I don't start, I'm never going to write it. So I'm just going to throw that first paragraph under the bus and it's usually terrible anyway. And I just go, I don't even read it later. I just No, I do the same thing. The first two paragraphs, I delete. Yeah. I write them and then I delete them because it takes me that long to actually get to the point of what I'm saying. It's like right. giving myself permission at the beginning, like the first two paragraphs are really giving me giving myself permission to write whatever I'm going to write. So then yeah. I just get them and delete them. <laughs> exactly. And and it's great if it sucks, like who cares, right? It's not like these things that we make, especially when we need to make them simply for ourselves, they're not precious. They're not, we are not the next da Vinci's of the world who after we're dead, other people will decide is, are valuable, right? Yeah, I mean, we don't have any control over that anyway, you know? It's like so often the thing that you think is the shittest thing in the world is actually the thing that resonates with people. Like we actually have no control over how the world sees what we create, only, you know, so we might as well enjoy the actual creation of it. Exactly. I mean, like, that's how I ended up as somebody who worked for years in craft, which is fraught with perfection when it comes to marketing, right? Like, if you're going to write a craft book, it has to be perfect. And you have to be perfect. And you have to be an authority and you have to be an expert and everybody, you know, like, there's no no space for vulnerability. No. Right. And so I consider like the biggest success of my entire career to be that I sold a book that has the word ugly in its title, because it really shuts the door on a lot of people reading it, but there's no other way to say it. And that's what it's about. Like, because we all create ugly things, no matter what we do, we might as well just see it as a valuable part of our creative process and look at it, acknowledge it, thank it for being there so that we can move on and try to make something perhaps not so ugly next time. Right. It's like, and really it's a metaphor for life. Like none of us can control how messy and miserable our lives can be. Sometimes we can just say, one day I'm really hoping it's not going to be so shitty anymore and I'm going to be able to look back and say 
I see the light today because I was in darkness yesterday. And, you know, like that, yeah. it's all kind of the the same. Um, yeah. And it's the, and the so, controlling part that actually sucks the enjoyment and life out of life. You know, it's yeah. like it, it's the it's the expectation and the needing things to turn out a certain way that actually stops us from being present in our life and enjoying where we are. And that's not just a creative thing, right? That's in life. We're trying totally. to like stranglehold something in to make it into something that we've decided needs to occur. And in that, where is the where's the where's the space for joy and creativity? There isn't any. There's no space yeah. for allowing life to take you where it needs to go. There's yeah. just a sense of disappointment, resentment, bitterness, all that shit. Yeah. Failure Fear. that you you didn't succeed in in making it what you wanted it to be. Yeah, all of that. Totally. So, you make the ugly doll and that is like a life-changing moment for you. And yeah. so where do you go from there? Well, so in my work nowhere for years uh until one day i was like riding the bus on the way home and it was dark and it was that like perfect hour where it had just gotten dark and the street lights were kind of passing by in this mesmerizing rhythm and and i and i had no idea what to do with my life next it was like i had had this tremendous and unplanned for success with the stuff that i had done in crochet and then i just had nothing to say anymore about it and was like what am i going to do it's like i skipped over the part of my life where i would kind of ease into a career doing something and kind of jammed everything into 5 years and then i was in my 30s going oh, i don't know and and that's when it i was like no no this is an idea i really want to dig into and i really really want to share it and Actually, what comes out of all of the work I've done is in crochet is that I have the skill and the know-how to share it. And I literally ran home from the bus stop and I like flung the door open in my house and I came running through it telling my husband, like, I have to like register a domain name because I have this idea. And the idea was pretty ugly and prettyugly.com was taken. <laughs> so I was like, okay. I was Damn like, it. Don't I, you hate right? that? <laughs> if I don't nail it in the next 30 seconds, I'm never going to get it down. I have to do it right now. And so I was like, no, mighty. I actually like mighty better because it's, this is a, it's a project about strength, right? And it's yeah. a project about the strength that comes from acceptance and trying something new. And so I, I, I registered it and I wrote down this like manifesto, like this, we are, we are selling ourselves short by, by forcing ourselves to pretend that this ugly part of things doesn't exist. Yes. We never show it to anyone. We feel so ashamed by it when we create something ugly. We won't even try to create something because we're afraid it'll turn out ugly. This thing is so big and we try so hard and we spend so much time and energy trying to will it out of existence that all of my work, 100% of it, is going to be about shining a light on it and putting it front and center and saying, because of this, we can have beauty and we can have, you know, happiness and we can have all these things. Um, and I started doing workshops uh, and that's what I do. We, we dump materials in the middle of a table and we make ugly things. We talk about what ugliness is and people have such a variety of responses to it from, you know, people who visibly blanch and feel like they're going to pass out because they're so uncomfortable with the idea of making something that's not pleasing and perfect uh, to people who like throw their hands up in the air and like cackle maniacally because they've never felt so free yeah. to just do whatever the hell they wanted. And, and here I've given them permission to do it. And then in the end we have a show and tell and people introduce their creature. And it's amazing how different the conversations are when everybody's trying to make something ugly than when you're in any other kind of artistic or creative or crafty workshop where there's so much comparison, right? You're always sitting, working on your thing, looking over to your neighbors, wondering if they're getting it faster than you, or if, if you feel like you're all thumbs and the person next to you is just flying away at it. And, you know, there's so much judgment. Whereas when you're making something ugly, the conversation becomes like, you guys, do you think it's too cute? Oh yeah, man, it's too cute. What are you even thinking? Like, oh, I knew it was too cute, right? Like suddenly, like the tagline for the project is when failure's kind of pretty, right? Like if you fail miserably at making your ugly thing because you just, no matter what you did, you came up with something cute, 
Well, then you can think about that for the next couple of weeks and unpack what it means to you, right? Like, but like, that's how it is. People are so encouraging. And it's like, more encouraging too, because it's like the kind of judgment people are having is a far more welcome kind of judgment. Um, people talk about their color preferences and what symmetry means to them and all of these kinds of things. And then when people introduce their creatures, it's like a third of the people in the room are just like, this is how I made it and what I did to try to make it ugly. And a third of the people in the room get kind of bashful and say, you know, I tried really hard, but I couldn't quite make it ugly enough. Um, And then a third of the people in the room, no matter what their creature looks like, they have created an entire backstory. They're like, look, I know this creature is prettier than it should be, but I've got to tell you it's a serial killer and <laughs> the manner in which it kills, like, and there's all of these like hideous attributes, right? Like one guy in a workshop once made something that had like exuded a lethal ooze so that though it might seem attractive, it, anything that touched it died immediately and and it it didn't want it to like it wasn't a malicious creature it was just plagued by this thing and so like people's imaginations get really sparked and we have conversations about what ugliness is and whether they found the exercise to be valuable and almost all the time from the people who almost faint to the people who are doing a dance they get something out of it maybe it shakes them loose or it invites them to confront their perfectionism Mm. or to see how much they've constrained themselves by only striving for a wonderful product all the time. Um, And I've met people at conferences who had taken a workshop from me years later who tell me they still have their creature and it lives on their desk as a reminder to them that that thing they created that's so ugly is actually something very valuable to them. So it's, it's been you know, it's been almost 10 years since I came up with this whole workshop project. And I, I don't see myself ever stopping because it's just, it's a different conversation about the same thing every time I do it. So cool. And like, I actually just outside my vision, I have a basket. (laughs) It's not really a basket. It's like a kind of looks like a jelly bean of, I run retreats in Australia And part of that is about getting to know your creative process and, you know, being an observer or a witness to the way that you show up and create things. And so we usually have like some kind of exercise. There's usually like vision boarding or something like that, which actually can tell a lot about how you approach your creativity. Like, am I someone who can't commit anything to the page? Am I someone who needs to just like whack it all down so I'm done and I can finish? Am I someone who just needs to say, this is fucking bullshit, I don't want to do it, and then <laughs> like walk away? Like what? what is your, like, you know, you can learn so much about what happens when you sit down in front of a blank piece of paper. And uh, and and the last retreat I ran, we did, um, we had someone come and do basket weaving and it was just so interesting because it's always set up as though, you know, just be the witness as to what's actually going on in your head while you're sitting down to learn this thing you've never done before. And, you know, for me, it gave it gave myself like the biggest gift because I could see my creative process has this element of looking around, you know, what's happening, what, what are other people doing, how am I measuring up to those people. And there's also this big part where where I can see now, it happens almost every time I create something which is I get to that point where like I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm doing a really great job. This is all really cool. And then something happens. And I know like just from doing crochet myself, I know it happens in crochet. It happens if I knit something. It happens like if it, it happens if, I, if I'm painting. It happens if I'm recording a podcast. It happens like every single time I go to, to create something. And it's that feeling of losing control. You know, it's like it all starts to fall apart. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm looking at this thing. How am I going to bring it back together? It's like falling apart in my hands. I, and and like self-doubt starts to kick in. What am I doing here? How do I fix this? And then all of a sudden it just kind of comes back together. And, you know, and it might be like an ugly jelly bean basket in the end, 
but it's there because it means something to me, right? It means it is a it is a constant reminder to myself that yeah, when when I go into a creative process, I'm going to have this part of feeling inspired, like a, it's all under control and I've got it. Oh yeah, this is really great. And then it's like you know that that image of um, the the image of creation, which sometimes does the rounds on Facebook, and it's like this is great, this is amazing. Oh my god, this is shit. I am shit. This is okay. <laughs> yeah. It's good, you know, <laughs> yeah. that yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the wave of creation. So, yeah. do you see this? Do you like w- when people are creating their ugly, mighty ugly bits and pieces? Um, do is it the same? Do they? Do they? Does everyone experience their own creative process around it, or is it different yeah. because you've given them free abandon to go and do it? How be ugly. No, I think they do experience their own creative process about it. And we talk about it. Like one of the things that I ask people to do while they're in the process of making it is to pay attention to what they're making and how they feel about it and how they're making decisions. And then either while they're doing it or after they're done to think about how their experience of making something ugly compares to their experience and their process of making something that's any other thing, no matter what it is, you're not trying to make it ugly um, and how it compares. And and a lot of people experience something very similar, mm. except they have to stop themselves and do it differently. So, you know, there's still an element I, of pressure, right? Because yeah. they're, they're creating something intentionally ugly. So then there is also the uh, expectation that it has to be ugly. (laughs) Yeah. And what's interesting to me is that almost nobody feels paralyzed by that expectation when it's ugly, which is great. I think it's the only reason this works is that if people got super perfectionist about the ugly part, then they wouldn't go there. But I think they there's something inherent to it where people are like, ah, screw, you know, I'm just going to put that aside right now. And they, and they dive in. But when I do this, especially with people who make things for a living, you know, professional crafters or designers or artists who are under a constant pressure to not only make successful things and beautiful things, but things that will be uh, desired by others because they're making a living from it. And so there's that external validation as well that is so a part of what they do. Their process of making something ugly often goes, well, you know, I'm very proficient at this. I do this for a living, right? And they'll gather their materials and they'll lay them all out and they'll be like, oh, hold up. And they're constantly having to put a break on things because they will have chosen things that are the kinds of things they always work in. And maybe that's going to be too much of a challenge for them. So then they discard those materials and go and work maybe in a medium they're not as comfortable with. And then they'll look and they'll be like, oh, I went to my go-to palette of colors and that can either be because they're a personal preference or because they sell really well, right? But they're the ones that are the most familiar and the most pleasing in some way. And then they'll be like, oh, can't do that. And then they go back again. And so, and, and those kinds of stops and starts, Ooh, I'm knocking my microphone, <laughs> happen at different times for different people. And sometimes it happens when they're halfway through making a thing. And so you can't really just backpedal. And that's when I think things get really creative because then people have to really solve problems. Like, uh uh-oh, I've got this thing. All of the colors are really matching. My seams are beautiful. I can't believe that I'm on the path to making something pretty when the whole point of this is making something ugly. How can I sabotage it? Um, And then they'll take a step and they'll look at it, you know, and then you'll see that like, that's when the paint comes out in, you know, like gashes put on or suddenly a lot of brown gets used or things start to be talked about. Like the conversation shifts into things like vomit or, you know, like horrible experience or, or like, but it turns out they lost an eye and the eye gets pulled out of the face and is dangling somewhere. And, and it's, it's neat. And then suddenly there's that nervous, energy of that almost cackling mania of like, "Ah, if I did this in real life, or if like, if my kid came to my work table and did this to the thing I was working on, I would freak out, but I'm supposed to be doing it. It becomes this whole, it's just a total bit that messes with people's heads. Um, And then in the end, they see the process that everybody else went through and everybody talks about what they've done and what their experience of it was. And there are some people who never get comfortable with it over the course of the workshop, but they still 
like on the other end of it, they know they got to the other side. And so they're able to at least let go of the discomfort because it's over. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. so it's, uh, yeah. But I think that people's experience, their process of it very much mirrors their general creative process, but where maybe, especially for people who really think a lot about their process and work on their process and workflow their process, it becomes a halting thing because that thing, that well-oiled machine mm. that they spend yeah, so much time Yeah, I mean, it's almost oiling. like a neural yeah. pathway. This is the way we do it. This is the way yeah. we do it. This is the way. So to like, you know, yeah, like break that open and yeah, put the brakes on. It's almost, that's what I feel like. It's like almost like, you know, car driving down this well-worn road and instead yeah. it's just like braking all the time. <laughs> yeah. Something jumps out at you from the side and you're like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in many ways, it's the most fun to do the workshop, not with people who really are thinking about their creative process so much. And it's more of that liberating experience, mm. you know, people who might be holding themselves back. But the conversations that come out of the of the workshops with people who really do think about this all the time are like mind blowing. And they're different every time. And there's insight from so many different angles and perspectives that like, I don't know that I'll ever tire of it, which is unusual for me because I get bored really easily. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So to me, that's what keeps me doing it is that I get, like being able to bear witness to this and, uh, kind of walk people through it and hear what they have to say is amazing. And it really is life changing. Yeah. You know, to be given permission, particularly if you've been, creatively or emotionally stifled for a long time then given full permission to just like go all out is yeah. uh particularly confronting but then when you do go all out I know the times in life where I have just given myself permission to go all out nothing bad has ever actually happened right <laughs> all the things that I feared were didn't even really exist except in my mind and from that from the from the going all in on something, which I feel hardly any of us do, you know, just be like, okay, go, like, just go, go for it, go for it, go for it until, you know, with with everything that you have. It's a rare thing to do due to all the fear we experience and all the inner critic stuff and the perfectionist tendencies and all that kind of shit. So actually giving yourself permission to do it even if it's just once in your fucking life, can yeah. actually change the, compl the the trajectory of your life from there on. Yeah. It's like the moral of the story is, guess what, in the end, you didn't die doing this, right? Like this is, and that goes back to the the fear that I kept hearing about, right? Like so, so when I was that big asshole in crochet listening to people talk about fear going like, what are you even talking about? I can't believe, you know, and then I had that experience of making that doll, and all of the fear that I felt in that moment, the fear of being found out as a fraud, the fear of not being able to create anything anyway, like it was crushing. And I was like, oh, I've been such an and, asshole. And that's pretty much how most people live their lives. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I was like, huh. And then I had this totally different perspective on everything that everybody had been telling me for so long. In the end, there are a lot of things that we really have to worry about in our lives. We really do. We really have to worry about the health and well-being of the people we love. And we really have to worry about where our next paycheck is coming from. We really have to worry about the state of the world at large and our persistence as a species and all of the species on Earth. Like, there are some And the environment, that, you know, the planet right? that we live on. Everything. <laughs> so our many neighbor. huge things to worry about. And as so an anxious things. mind, I could tell you pretty right? much all of them. <laughs> All of them are worthy of our anxiety. They're worthy of our love and our concern. But what we make doesn't fall into that category. And what we make, though, we often talk about in the same terms. And we talk about it in terms of those fears. But in the reality, this is one area of our lives where, you know, look, if we fuck up at work, we might lose that paycheck. And there might be really dire like consequences to that. And if, if a car that we're not in control of runs a stoplight, we don't have control over that. And we are going to have to endure the consequences of that. 
But if we create something ugly when we set out to create something pretty, there is no tangible consequence to that, other than the fact that in the end, at least we know we tried. And if we're lucky, we have the privilege and the ability to try again if we want to. And that, to me, is the part of this that really intersects with the rest of life. Like There really are things that we should worry about and that we should weigh very heavily when we make decisions about them, but not this, not this. Yeah. And not even like, you know, not even the way, because this is one thing I've worked with so many women over the years. And the one thing that I see that really stops them from, you know, putting their art out into the world, whether that is just like starting an Instagram account or starting a Facebook page or whatever it is, is this fear of, what other people are going to think about the thing. Yeah. And that is not something we need to waste our time and energy thinking about because that we we have zero control over. Right. We can create the most beautiful thing in the world. You know, this is the thing about creativity and art is that it is a subjective thing. And some people are going to look at what you've created and be like, what the fuck? I don't get that. And other people are going to be like, oh, my God, my mind is blown. This is like the most impactful, you know, thing I've ever witnessed in my life. And we have zero control over how our art, in inverted commas, because it can be whatever it is, is received by the world. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time. So when I was back in the day walking through craft shops going, what, what could I even make? I ended up buying a kit to make mosaic coasters, like to put a water glass on. And I was so excited about this because it was just a kit. It was like there were instructions and I got to, it was essentially gluing things to stuff and making cement. And it was, it was very, very simple. And I was dating someone at the time who ended up becoming my husband, who I still live with now, almost 20 years later. And he was like, oh, let's do it together. And I was like, okay, great. And then he was like, this flipped a switch in his mind not mine I was like look I made a coaster it's vaguely flat and he was like I want to do more of this and then he started making mosaics like canvas size mosaics from his own imagination and one of them he made um I never made one again <laughs> like, there's, there's <laughs> one that he and I made together which was really fun but like this suddenly became his hobby when I learned how to knit I told him he was not allowed to learn how to knit because it was going to be mine. <laughs> yeah. um, but he made a portrait based on a, a photograph he had of like his great, great grandfather or something. And of course, it was a, a sepia tone portrait at this point, the photograph, but he made it in color and it is stunning. And he ended up giving it to his parents. And we went over to his parents' house one night and he discovered that they'd hung it above the toilet. And <sighs> he was devastated he was so offended and I mean this is a family with a good sense of humor like it was they could make a good joke about art hung in the in the washroom but there was he just felt like like it was such an insult mm. that they had hung it there and I had a long chat with him about how he had let it go you know like it was not his anymore it was yeah. theirs to do with what they wanted and in their minds that was pride of place. Like in their minds, everybody who ever comes and, to and their it, home it is going to see it. It does hurt, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and probably spend a lot of time in there if they're not very good cooks. Um, but but uh, my, I've actually just experienced this with my husband. So he uh, he used to do wood turning, and he was really good at it. But he had to give his lathe away. And anyway, so he doesn't really have a creative outlet. He hasn't for you know, the last kind of 10 years. And I, I really want to encourage him to get back into it. But, you know, that ha people have to do things in their own time and we can't force people to embrace their creativity. <laughs> so anyway, so we're in the process of moving um, house and buying our mother-in-law's house from her. And so there is this process of, you know, she's been there for 25 years. She's clearing out a whole bunch of stuff. And we were in the shed where we've stored a whole bunch of our shit going through and clearing stuff out and we had to go and put some stuff in the bin and Miko opened the bin and there was one of his pride um you know one of the 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 best candle holders he's ever 
carved out of wood in the bin. And he was just like, I could, I could just tell his soul was a little heartbroken that his mum would throw this out. And so, and, and it's actually beautiful. So I was like, well, pull it out of the bin, put it back in the shed and we'll keep it. We'll use it, you know, but he was, he was really hurt by it. And it is that thing of, and it's like, she's had it for 20 something years. Like it's, it's had a good run. Yeah, but but there's still that piece of like, but that meant some that you know there was a lot of time and thought and energy and love that went into creating that, and now it's in the bin, and it can yeah. feel really personal, you know. Mm-hmm. So I I totally relate to how your husband must have felt yeah. seeing seeing <laughs> seeing some you know, and even like my daughter, she brings home these pictures, and you're kind of like that's, and some of them are beautiful, and we laminate them, but other ones, you know, you put in the bin, and then and I could just feel her you know if she opens up to put something in the recycling like oh how heartbreaking that it's there but we can only keep so much art right right I hide it I always end up when my son like we go through it and I I will fold it and put it underneath the newspapers or something because I it's the same like I don't want him to open it up and see yeah because it can it can leave a lasting impact I remember you know my because my brother was so talented like yeah. ridiculously talented, we ended up having these, um, you know, suitcases that mum would put all our art in. And I remember going through it in, you know, as we were moving house as I was a teenager and realising that really none of my stuff was in there. It was all grants. Yeah. And it kind of was like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? So so people yeah. value that but they don't necessarily value the yeah, my stuff, which was heartbreaking and also led to me kind of, I guess, shutting down my creativity a bit and labelling it as not good enough. Um, yeah. But who who decides that? You know, who decides yeah. that? Us. It's true, right? The value yeah. of the creation is the value that you experience creating. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's something that I struggle with as a parent, probably more than any other thing, is understanding so well the impact of my words Mm. when I might not even realize it. Because looking back, you know, those art teachers in elementary school who didn't actually say, like, you should perhaps go into the sciences, (laughs) you know, like, but that's how you were picking it it. up. (laughs) You were picking up the vibe, (laughs) right? Like, they didn't. You know, and that's how I internalized. I was like, I have so much power to take something away from him, right? Like, yes, that, you know, I think so much about what I want to give him and so much of what I I want to do for him and expose him to and set him up for. But really, at the end of the day, I know that it can be the things I don't even intend mm. that can take things away from him right mm. and it's like oh god yeah <laughs> it's so i mean horrible. i mean where you know it's like i don't know that that um the triangle picture that's got like you know unconsciously conscious and that's the shit we're not even aware of that's impacting <laughs> so pretty much yeah. we're fucked we might as well just make right? ugly things <laughs> <laughs> that's it there's no winning anything yeah 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 pretty much <laughs> Uh, so I, th- I think it would be really lovely to leave people with a bit of a personal challenge or an invitation okay. to, um, you know, explore their own creativity. So where would you recommend, besides obviously buying your book, um, <laughs> where, where do you recommend that people kind of start to explore if it's, if it's been shut down and they've got this really strong, um, you know, mm. resistance? I'm going to give several answers. Cool. Uh, because one of them is something that I've done, but it, it's I'm not saying it because I want to promote a thing I've done. So um, one is uh, read the work of Danielle Krissa. Uh, her last name is K-R-Y-S-A. Uh, she is a fellow Canadian, and she runs an art blog called The Jealous Curator, and she has an outstanding... Uh, story. In fact, I think 
there might be a recording of a talk she's given, um, maybe through Creative Mornings or something like that, where she tells her of her experience in art school. Uh, and it was a devastating experience that led to her giving up art. Um, but she has an amazing story of coming back to art. And I think that it's something that like her individual story is like the experience we have all had in one way or another with maybe a grade three teacher, but hers was like for her art school thesis project, you know, like it was this major thing. It was horrible and it was crushing to her. And now she's working as an artist again, which is amazing. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but she tells an amazing story and she's written books. So she has a book called Creative Block. Cool. which I can't recommend highly enough. And she, I think for that book, she interviewed 50 working artists and they all gave prompts about what they do when they experience creative block. And really creative block is what we all experience when we're not starting something, whether we're an artist or not. And so if you're sitting and listening to this going, yeah, I'm not creative. I don't even have anything to make. Start there and follow the prompts. And they're just as relevant. Um, and she has other books out too. And I think one coming out now, which is like something like a big art book that actually features woman artists, as opposed to all the art books that have written, been written over centuries that mostly feature men. men. Yeah. Um, well, that yeah. is the history of art, really. <laughs> Women right? were not exactly. allowed to practice art. Yeah. So she's amazing. And her work, I think, is so accessible. Um, you know, and I've never really considered myself an artist and I don't work in art media, but I find her work to be just all the time makes me feel more capable and more adventurous. And also the story of the artist Lisa Congdon, who has an incredible story about coming to art later in her life. And I always love, like, I'm in my early 40s and I'm writing my first novel right now. And I always love stories about people who didn't meet their creative success until later in life. Because I'm like, because so much of it is like, I'm not an ingenue. You know, there's so many people who are like, this person won their first Academy Award when they were 18. <laughs> and you're like, my world is done. I'm just yeah. done now. Um but I was just, you know, reading about like an author who became a prolific author who his first book was published in his 50s, I think. And it was something like that where I was like, you know, first off, I'm writing this novel for me because I enjoy it. And that's something I was like totally new for me. But in the end, if it ends up being any good, what an amazing thing that it, like it would be. It won't come out to my mid 40s, even if I finish it. Um, so. That's exciting to me. Anyway, so and I guess the, there is a there is a lesson there in that too, right? Like it is never too late to start right. something new. Totally. It's never too late and it's never the wrong reason. So here's the other part. The other part is this. I had tried over years and years to do like a a, a daily challenge. Um, they became super popular online back in the early days of Flickr, where Flickr was like the first big, it was like Facebook before Facebook existed. Mm -hmm. And there was such a thriving community there and people would do like a self-portrait challenge, you know, once a day for 365 days, they would post a self-portrait and it was great. And I got 10 days into it, missed a day and called it a failure. And <laughs> then like the craft blogs became popular and people were doing things and there would be all kinds of challenges that people would run. And then, of course, this was even before there were hashtags um, and people would do a thing and I and I never, ever followed through with them. And I always used my failure to follow through with them as further evidence yeah. that I not only was not creative, but also I was undisciplined and I couldn't, you know, see things through to the end. And I was flighty and flaky. And everyone and says consistency is the one key to success. And if you can't be consistent at one thing, how could you ever be consistent in life? Exactly. So this was just, it was a like the nails in the coffin of my own kind of self-concept um, until one year. So one year, uh, a friend of mine from the knitting industry, she posted photos and she, she hashtagged them. It was the early days of hashtags. She hashtagged them year of making. And she never said anything about them. But it was like every single day, maybe she made jam or she made dinner or she made a shawl or she made anything. And on... January 1st of the year after I kept noticing her doing this, I made a batch of cookies and I said, you know, I don't know what my friend was up to, but I'm going to do this and I'm just going to try to make anything. That's it. Once a day, at least. And it doesn't matter if it's cookies from a mix or like 
seven hours of knitting. Like as long as it's anything that didn't exist before I made it, I'm going to count it. And that was it. And I actually did it. Like I got through to the end of the year. And one of those days, maybe I had the flu, you know, but the next day I didn't wake up and decide that I had failed. I just was like, eh, I had the flu yesterday. So I'm just going to pick up. And that was probably the biggest lesson of all was just not to stop. But I've been doing it. I'm in my sixth year. Because you can trip. You don't have to fall flat on your face and just lie there screaming. You know, you can just get up and and take (laughs) the next step. Dust yourself off. Because there's actually nothing physically broken. (laughs) That's right. And that's it. You know, 365 days is a lot of days. Uh, You know, and if you miss one, that's called life. Like it just is. We can't control everything. But in the end... I, I've learned how to do so many more things just because suddenly I was like, hey, I'm doing this project. So I'm going to use this as a license to do this other thing. And through this project, I realized that I'm just a creative person. Like I'm first off, it illuminated to me how much I make when I'm not even aware of it. Um, yeah. And that made me was like huge perspective shift for me. But also like it's now a habit that is a part of my daily life that I no longer have to think about. I've been doing it for years now and I don't post on Instagram every day anymore and I don't keep detailed logs anymore, but I rely on it. This is going all the way back to kind of at the beginning of our conversation, talking about the power of making things, especially when we're in a bad place. Mm. Um, And knowing that we have given ourselves the gift of this practice that helps to ground us or give us pleasure or connect us to people. You know, a lot of people that I know learn or knit or crochet because a grandmother or an aunt used to do it and they want to feel close to that person. Um, Whatever it is and whatever meaning we get from it, by making a habit out of it and doing it even just for three minutes at the end of a busy day, we keep ourselves connected to something that we have decided is important to us. And That is, you know, discovering that it was not me that was the issue with failing to complete those projects that other people set up, but that if I actually came up with my own and I set my own parameters and my own rules, that I would have no trouble doing something that in the end was huge. In the day-to-day, it's three minutes or five minutes or an hour. At the end of a year, it's entire projects finished. It's skills built or built upon or learned afresh. And it's like, I don't know that I will ever give it up simply because it's as much a part of my day as brushing my teeth in the morning before I get to work. Do you know what I mean? And so it's, that's, that's what I would say. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, I want to highlight here with the daily thing, my, my practice began and it's not even a creative practice, but it is a practice in consistency and it's making my bed. That simple yeah. act completely changed my life. And I've been doing it now for four years, I think, every yeah. single day. And it's evidence that I can show up and do things for me. And for me, it's my bed. When I've tried to have a writing pra- a daily writing practice, when it's had to be something that I should do, then it doesn't work. Yeah. It's permission to do something that does work for you, you know? And mm. and even if it's a practice of looking back at your day and seeing what you did create. Mm. You know, yeah. without intentionally creating something, we all create something each day, whether that is yeah. creating connection with the people around us or, you know, cooking dinner for our family or you know, what, whatever, planting some flowers, whatever it is, we, we're creating daily. So, you know, look back at the day and see, see what you have created. If, yeah. um, if the pressure, cause that's the whole piece, right? Like it's the pressure that is the thing that can often, um, yeah, make us not want to continue with something. We start out strong and then it's like, I mean, it's such a familiar story, right? Start out strong three days later, max 10 days and it's done. Right. But I feel like that's mostly because we're putting pressure on ourselves to do something we believe we should do rather than actually doing what is yeah. important to us. And f- yeah. and we all we can all create our own little daily practices um yeah. providing that it's something that that sings to our own soul and and works for us. 
Yeah. And that's it, right? It goes back to that permission. Like you have permission not to follow someone else's rules and to make up your own and to find whatever meaning or lack of meaning that you want in it. And there's no wrong way to do it. Totally. And this is so funny because each episode before we jump on the call, I set an intention and I don't let the guests know, obviously. <laughs> um, but but they but they always come to fruition. And my intention for this show was it to be was it for it to be fun, and yeah. and the word for this episode was permission. Ah. So how funny is that? I just got goosebumps. I was so freaky. <laughs> You've manifested it. <laughs> I totally manifested that shit. So um, thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest. I am so stoked that you reached out and we made this happen. Thank you for, um, yeah, beaming in from Vancouver. And, uh, yeah, what a blessing. What a what a gift you bring to the world. That is such a, um, you know, that permission piece is so important when it comes to not just creativity, but life in general, permission to do shit our way. Um, and it's very much aligned with my own message. So, um, yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. It's been such a delightful conversation. <laughs> okay, so there was one thing I have forgotten, and that is can you tell people where to connect with you? Oh, <laughs> sure. Uh, so my website is kimworker.com. It's W-E-R-K-E-R. Um, work, 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 and work, every work. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, every other place to find me is through there, but I'm KP Worker, uh, same spelling on Instagram and all of the places. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's where to find me. I'd say hello. Tell me that, you know, you want to make something ugly or you did send me photos. Yeah, perfect. And we'll have all the links in the show notes, including I'll put some stuff about um, Danielle and uh, Lisa in those notes too for anyone who's interested in exploring that. Well, thanks again. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Go to carlynimmo.com to find ways to connect to your creativity and live life on your frequency. Until next week, make some 